Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Alan Easterwood, and I am uh, an elder here at Iron City Baptist Church. Most of you know that, but I always, always hate it when someone doesn't introduce uh, who they are. And uh, I've counted a privilege to be able to, to serve you guys as an elder. I want you to know Cody says this all the time. It's one of the things I love about our church and our, our leaders is I love you. And uh, I mean that. And I know all of the other elders uh, are deacons. We mean it. And uh, we do love you and we would do anything for you, be here for you at any time for anything you, that you ever need. And uh, I thank you for the privilege. And thanks, thanks Cody, for allowing us um, to do this and, and to speak. And uh, before we jump into it, I, I do want to recognize some celebrities that are here. The Chilton's are right over here. Okay? So if you don't... <laughs> If you don't know, the Chilterns have been in the Ukraine uh, picking up their fifth child. Uh, there's seven of y'all over there. So I'm uh, so glad that you guys are back, and uh, praise God for everything he's done. Can't wait to get to, to know your daughter, and uh, all the rest of your children are just great youngins. We love you guys. So glad you're back. And so, uh, as you know, um, our elders have been walking us through the book of Titus uh, for the last several weeks, and today we make it to chapter 3, which is the, the final chapter in the book, and John Hall and Andrew and Tony and uh, John Blanton's coming up next week. All these guys have, gonna, have done a great job of walking us through and in, in, uh, uh, teaching us the qualifications of an elder um, and what sound Christian looks like, sound Christian living looks like in the church uh, in chapter one, and then chapter two, what it looks like in the home. And then now in chapter three, Paul kind of moves outside the church and uh, outside of the home and looking at the world, or as, as we like to refer to it, the world, or to secular society. So that's where we are in chapter 3. If you'd stand with me, if you're able, we'll, we'll read the word. This is Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. If you'll be seated. We all need reminders, right? Uh, everybody in here has got a cell phone. On that cell phone, you've got a calendar, and you need a reminder or something. What do you do? You put a, you put a note in there, and it, it's got an alert. It comes up. It dings. Some of you got crazy music and things that that play to, to remind you of things. If you're like me, I have sticky notes in my office, and if it's something real important, it's hanging right on the bottom of the monitor, right? And it's a sticky note to, to remind me of uh, something important, something that I need to remember. Recently, um, we had an elders meeting. We meet, um, try to meet pr pretty regularly, and our, for some reason, our pastor decides that we need to meet at 6 o'clock in the morning at Sneaky Pete's, okay? Who does that, okay? 6 o'clock in the morning, and recently, we had a meeting, and one of the guys didn't show up. This one, okay? Even though we got a reminder from our pastor the day before that we needed to be at the meeting just to show you how bad it is. Um, 
got a, got a reminder the day before and still, still didn't make it. So we need reminders. And uh, I can remember our son, Morgan, I cleared this with him, by the way. He, he, he lives up in North Carolina, so I cleared it was okay to talk about him. He's, he's 23 and about the age of 11 to 13, Jennifer, about right. So it's time to get a shower, guys. I mean, you guys don't like taking baths. Okay? You ladies will do a pretty good, pretty good job of it. But time for a shower. Morgan, go get a bath, go get a shower. So he'd go, and he'd be gone exactly three minutes. Okay? Who takes a three-minute shower? Anybody? Okay, no. Okay, he's gone three minutes. He comes back. He comes downstairs. He's got his comfy jama pants on. You know, he's ready for the evening. And you get up close to him, you're like, what's that smell? Son, did you use soap? Did you wash your hair? No, no. All he did was get in there and get wet, okay? So he needed to be reminded, use soap, okay? So we need all kinds of constant reminders um, in our lives. And straight out of the gate, in verse 1, Paul tells Titus, remind the believers in Crete of some things. And this wasn't the first time that the believers in Crete had heard this teaching that Paul is asking uh, Silas to instruct them with. It, it was not a new teaching. The churches had heard it before. And the Bible is, is full of examples of the dangers of forgetfulness. Okay, If you'll recall the Israelites, and we, we've just been all through this in our connection group times. The Israelites were a very um, forgetful people. It was part of their downfall. There were phrases like, they soon forget, and they did not remember that were always associated with them. And their forgetfulness of what God had done for them and who God was is something that played a big part in that downfall. And even the apostles themselves, the people who hung with Jesus on a regular basis, okay, needed to be reminded of things by Jesus. After he, after he fed the 4,000, decent event, right? Pretty, pretty decent event. He feeds 4,000 people. After he feeds the 4,000, uh, he has to, rem to remind the disciples and says, don't you remember don't you remember? And that's a constant theme of things that are, that are happening in the Bible, all kinds of reminders. And so we look at those people who are like, ah, a bunch of dummies, okay? But before we can point our fingers you know, at those folks in the Bible, we need to take a look in the mirror because we are forgetful people. We need to be constantly reminded. I've got a verse on my bathroom mirror that reminds me uh, when I wake up in the morning that it's going to be okay. This, I give credit to Jennifer for this. Anybody, anybody in here like me, you wake up in the morning and, man, you are gripped with anxiety and worry. An elder just stood here and said that out loud. Anybody? Somebody? Somebody give me an amen, okay? You, you wake up and you're worried and you've got anxiety. And on, on my mirror it says, it's tattered, it's torn, it's got water spots on it. I've had it from every house we've lived in, honey. And it's sitting there and it says, don't lose yourself in the temporary. Don't lose yourself in the temporary. Followed up with 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No ears seen, no eyes heard, no heart has imagined what? What God has in store for those who love him. And all of a sudden, I take a deep breath and I go, okay, all right, this is temporary. The Lord's told me to hang on. So I, I need um, all of those reminders in my life. And what is it that Paul is reminding them in verse 1? Look at verse 1 with me. To be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. So, so Paul, who's speaking to us here, he, this is thousands of years ago, and Paul couldn't possibly have understood what kind of tyrannical government we live under in the 21st century in America, right? There's no way, no way that Paul could understand that at all, except that he could, okay? Except that, yes, he experienced probably far worse than anything that we think that we're experiencing. I mean, do you know what the Roman Empire did to Christians? Go do a study on that and see what the Roman Empire actually did the Christians and how they persecuted him. And then consider what Paul is asking the Cretans, the people here in Crete, what he's asking them to do. They were subjugated 
by Rome, and there were people who were already had these insubordinate attitudes for the way that Rome was treating them and that how they were supposed to be subjected to, to their authorities and everything. So Paul is asking them to be submissive to those guys. And I just want to go, really? Do y'all do that? Are you doing it now? Okay, really? This is what you want me to do? This is how you want me to act? And so the question then becomes, why? Why, Lord? Why should the Christian be submissive to the government and to authorities? Here's, the, here, here's where I've landed. I mean, guys, we're all over the map on it. I get it. I mean, I get this topic is a, is a tough one, but it's not something that we avoid in the church because it's in the Word of God. But Because being submissive and obedient to governing authorities is actually loving God. Think about it. Being submissive to governing authorities is actually loving God. Well, how is that, Alan? Explain it to us, okay? When Pilate is questioning Jesus, we're talking about our Savior here. Okay, let's just stop for a minute and realize when I say Jesus, we're talking about the person that you put everything in, that you say you follow unto, unto the death. We're talking about Jesus here. When he's before Pilate and Pilate asks, you will not speak to me? Because you remember Jesus is silent, right? Do you not know what, that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. The only reason Pilate has any authority is because it's been given to him by God. So when you're submissive to rulers, you are loving God. In the book of Daniel, God reminds Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know if you remember this, but that he is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he does with them as he chooses. He is sovereign over the kingdom of men, and he does with them as he chooses. Again, God's sovereignty over rulers on display. And so our obedience not only displays a, displays a love for God, but it displays a love for other people. We all know what the elephant in the room is, right? I mean, it's okay. We can talk about it, okay? The mandates from all the government, everything that's going on in our world. Wear a mask. Ugh, right? Somebody, somebody just do it with me. Ah, ugh, whatever, whatever you want to do, however you want to get it. It's the elephant in the room, okay? But it's okay. It's okay. We can talk about it. It doesn't matter what stance you take, what your opinion of it is. We don't have to go into all that. Our job as Christians is to love other people. That's what our job is. Okay, I'm, and please don't leave today going, Alan, all he did is get up there and beat us up and punch us in the face and tell us we're a bunch of bad people and bad Christians. This guy right here has been beat up for two weeks preparing for this thing. What I want you to leave here with is that this is about mercy and love and other people. And Paul says, listen to this, in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, you, most of you know this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Christians, believers, it is not about us. We are to be obedient to human authorities, like it or not. Of course, there's an exception, and we're seeing that happen in our world today. We don't have to go into all these specifics, but... When you're, obeying, when you're asked to obey a law or a governing authority and doing that would entail disobedience 
to the Word of God and what God has commanded you to do? What is your answer? No. So there is an exception. How often are we going to be subjected to that? I, don't, I can't think of many times in my life when I've been asked to. It's happening now. So when we get up all up in arms over it, and it's really something that's such a, a, a limited occurrence, but this is just not about us. And Paul ends in verse 1 with a reminder to be ready for every good work. And this, this personally affected me here. Be ready for every good work. I'm so concerned about being right, explaining to the person I'm having a discussion with how I'm right, they're wrong, we should do this, we shouldn't do that, this is what you ought to be doing, that group over there don't know what they're doing, this movement, oh my gosh, it's ridiculous. All the time, all the time God has put a person right here in my face to love, to show who God is, to show what God's love is all about. And I am so busy trying to prove my point that when God puts somebody right in front of me, I'm not loving them like Jesus would. Happens to, it happens all the time. I'll get home and I think, God, I didn't even go search for it. I didn't go on the mission field. I didn't decide to sign up for some program. God just put them in my face. And I'm too busy worried about all this other stuff and I've just got to love them. He puts them in front of us. We, we have to love them. And so, Paul shifts in verse 2 from the civil authorities and from these governing authorities to the people in the secular society in general, the, the world is what we like to call them. He says, Christians should speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. And notice the use of a couple of words here. No one, speak evil of no one, and courtesy and perfect love to all people. Hang out there a minute. We aren't just talking about believers here. Boy, it's easy in here. Well, I look out here, I love y'all. I love y'all. Y'all love me, hopefully, a little bit. It's easy for me to have those conversations with you. I can see Chris back there. Chris, one of my longtime friends. We don't always see eye to eye on it. stuff, do we, Chris? You know what? I love that joker. He loves me, I hope. Say amen, okay? Okay? And so we're not talking about the easy conversations in here. We're talking about... No one and all people. We're talking about unbelievers. We're talking about people with different opinions than us. Christians should be careful not to speak evil of or verbally abuse others. And it helps me when I start to slander someone. Because let's just use the right terminology, right? Slander them or malign them. It helps me if I can remember that all people are creating the image of God. The God we love, the God we serve, the God who is everything to us, who gave us Jesus, our Savior. Every single person is created in his image, and they are the objects of his saving grace. I am. If you're a believer sitting in here right now, you are an object of God's saving grace and his mercy. And so are all of the people that we want to malign and that we want to slander, that we just want to go, ugh. Everybody in here right now, I can just do it. Do it in your mind. Don't say it out loud, okay, because I'm going to do that for you. <laughs> Two or three people right now that come to your mind. You could slander the mess out of them right now. You hate them. Let's just use the right terminology. You want to slander them. You want to malign their name. You want to put something on social media. You can think of them right now, okay? I debated on doing this, but it, it just makes the point. And this is me. Nancy Pelosi. Wait, wait. Image bearer. 
object of grace. Joe Biden, image bearer, object of grace. Donald Trump, image bearer, object of grace. George Floyd, image bearer, object of grace. Derek Chauvin, image bearer, object of grace. Let's bring it home. Let's get in the kitchen. Your spouse, your child, image bearers, objects of grace. Cody Hale, your elders, your deacons, objects of grace, image bearers. Nobody ever disparages Cody. Yes, they do. Nobody ever disparages leaders in the church. Yes, we do. Image bearers, objects of grace. Dehumanization has to stop at the church doors and the doors of church people's homes. Again, don't hear me beating you up. Let's beat me up. Let's beat each other. I'm doing this. Dehumanization of people has to stop at the church's doors. I mean, people have to look at the church and see that's the standard. The guy they say they love and that they serve and who's their savior, that guy is the standard. Paul continues in verse 2, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy. You can finish this for me, the old saying, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. That could go, that could go a long way here. And, and Jennifer has placed a verse uh, on our kitchen cabinet over the years from house to house. Thank you, honey. I appreciate you doing this, okay? Because those kids you got quarrel, and they get after each other, and we don't always show perfect courtesy to each other. But it kind of expands a little bit on this old phrase. It's Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. You may know it already. If you, if you don't, this is a good one. I've, I'm not pumping me here, but it's on, my, it's on my kitchen cabinet. I can't help but see it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except that which is good for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Did you hear that? Ephesians 4, 29-32, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Now, think about that the next time you want to start an argument or you want to be very harsh with someone, you don't want to be gentle. Is what I'm about to say going to build the other person up and is it going to benefit other people who are listening to the conversation? I've done it in this church. I've been back here in this corner, me and so-and-so, we're chatting and we're having this conversation. I love this guy and he loves me and I'm being honest with him or whatever. And then all of a sudden I'm going to tear somebody down and I'm going to rip this movement to pieces. Is what I'm about to say, building the other person up according to their needs and the people standing around me, are they going to benefit from hearing it? If they are, say it boldly. If they're not, this is one we use a lot, zip the lip. Close your lips. Close my lips. Because if it's not benefiting the people standing there, what are they going to do? They're going to walk out, they're going to go somewhere else, they're going to say, pick your name, so-and-so said such-and-such about so-and-so up there at the church house. Again, Paul ends this verse by emphasizing all people. All people. It doesn't matter what race, what gender, what sexual orientation, what political party, 
You name it. How we treat people can ultimately determine what they think of Jesus. Are, are we getting? I've got to get this. How I treat other people, regardless of who they are, is, it has an effect on how they determine who Jesus is. And, and when I was discussing these these first few verses with a really trusted friend of mine, he's a, he's a pastor, and he said, basically what Paul is saying here is Christians need to stop complaining and start living. Stop arguing about worthless 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 things and start pursuing God and other people with his love and with his way of life. And I wish I could say I came up with this one. The elders here are not this cool, okay? But he tells me one of his elders sent this to him. We ain't here to be right. We're here to be light. Just if you, if you leave here with anything today, write that down in your Bible. We ain't here to be right. We're here to be light. And so rather than resent and malign and be incensed with attacks on people and attacks on this organization and attacks on that movement, we should remember that we were also once just like, just like the very people we're inclined to condemn and dehumanize. Just like them. Look at verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We know what it's like to be stuck in unbelief, to be separated from God, and we would still be there were it not for the grace of God. So it's easy to read the Word and just read this list and just pass over it, but let's, let's don't pass over it. Let's look at who we were and who we are trying daily not to be foolish, disobedient, a slave to passions and pleasures, full of malice and full of envy and hate. Man, that, that is a list of just heinous sins of the condition of my heart previously and what I'm fighting against every single day going forward. And an awareness of who your former self was should humble us, and it should also work as, as a guard against hating the folks that act this way, the world, okay? My notes, why are we surprised when lost people act like lost people? Alan, why are you surprised when the people that you disagree with or that have such and such movement or are part of such and such organization behave the way they do? Why, why am I so surprised when people who don't understand who God is behave like they don't understand who God is. God doesn't want us to see unbelievers or people that we're at odds with or that we disagree with as our enemies. They're the mission field. That's what he wants us to see. He wants us to interact with them. Can we disagree? Absolutely. I don't agree with everybody in this room, and we're of one accord. But they need to see who God is. They're the mission field. Verse 3 is talking about how we once were, but we didn't get to where we are now because we did something and we saved ourselves. What did we do to earn God's mercy when you look at these verses? Nothing. Nothing. You didn't work your way there. You didn't perform something. You didn't do some righteous act that God looked at you and said, thank you. No, God just decided that he loves you and that he is going to pursue you. So it helps me to get this picture in my head of what my, what my righteous acts look like. 
okay? According to Isaiah, if you read in Isaiah, my righteous acts are like filthy rags, polluted garments. Do your research on that. I don't have to tell you. Not something I'm going to speak about here in the service, but do your research on what Isaiah means by polluted garments. They are nothing but filthy rags and polluted garments in the eyes of a holy God. But he saved us anyway by his own initiative. Nobody's forcing him to do anything. By his own initiative, because he's full of mercy, he saved us anyway. Listen to verses 4 through 7. Guys, studying this, I have come to, these are the greatest verses in the Bible maybe. What do you think, Cody? They're there. I mean, it's a top list. and I mean, the Bible is awesome and good all the way through. You know that. But these verses, guys, I don't know. They're, they're at the top. Verses 4 through 7. Listen. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Somebody say amen. That is the gospel. In the best run-on sentence in the history of mankind, in four verses, that is the gospel. This is what our lost friends and the people we're at odds with need to hear about who Jesus is. This is what they need to hear. This is who they need to know who, how they need to know who God is, okay? For so long, the message from the church, and, and thank you, Iron City. Thank you, elders here. Thank you, deacons here. Thank you, leaders here. This church preaches and teaches what the gospel of Jesus is. It does. It's called good news. But for so long, and still happening today, and even when I was growing up, here's what I understood. Get yourself straightened out. Get cleaned up. Then you can join my club. Anybody else? I've had so many conversations with people who don't know who God is, and they're like, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I mean, golly, I could never come. I, I, God's never going to accept me. Here's a, the only difference between me and you, the person I'm talking to, we're both reprobate pieces of trash that God just decided to love, and I believe it. That's the difference between you and I, and that's what our lost friends need to hear. That's good news. Okay, Good news is that the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. That had even happened. That is good news. Okay, God is good and loving and kind. Are you reading this? When the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And not because of anything that you've done or because anything that you're ever going to do, but because God is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. He decided to save you anyway in spite of you. I'm having recent conversations with different people about who God is and they're looking at this thing called the Bible and they're like, I can't do this. I cannot live up to these things and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I'm like, no, you can't live up to it but it's about mercy. God rich in mercy and in loving kindness and in goodness 
decided that in spite of you, and in spite of anything you could ever do, that he just loves you. Amen. He decided to save you anyway in spite of you. And a- Andrew covered this a couple of weeks back in chapter 1. Christianity isn't a faith plus religion. We're just saying it. It's Jesus, only Jesus. Amen? It's not Jesus plus and Jesus this righteousness and the Jesus that. It's just Jesus. He regenerates us. Regenerates your heart to be inclined to his regeneration. That's a big word. It just means new birth. It just means new life. You're a new creation in Christ. And he doesn't just save us and leave us to be. What does it say? He says he renews us by giving us the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. It says he poured out his Holy Spirit on us richly richly through Jesus our Savior. It's not, hey, you're, you're saved, I've got you. It's, I've got you, and I'm going to give you this helper. And it says he's going to do it richly. Ephesians 3, this is what it says. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly and immeasurably more than anything that you could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. Do you know what that power is? We just said it, the Holy Spirit. And he gives it to us and pours it out on us richly, and it's working in us. That power of the Holy Spirit gives us life, it sustains us, it empowers us, and then it guarantees us. Look at this. I mean, this is... And and then, though we're guilty, he justifies us. You're justified as a guilty person And we get to be heirs in eternal life. We get to inherit the kingdom. We get to spend eternity with God. Amen? It's just a glorious set of scriptures. And guys, it would just be so easy. It would be so easy for us to to come in here and to to hear this and to just say, ah, forget about it. Forget it, man. You don't understand what's happening in our world. You don't understand all the stuff that's going on. You don't understand what the government's asking us to do. Paul doesn't get it. He just can't possibly understand our society today. But Paul, like Jesus, didn't spend all his time trying to be right and and condemning a pagan society. Rather, what he's doing is calling for believers to live lives that preach the gospel of Jesus. That's what he's doing. That's what he's saying to, to Titus and what he wants these believers to get. He doesn't want us to resent the unbelievers and the, the people in our lives that we disagree with, but he wants, to, wants us to show them love and compassion and mercy. All the things that we just read in some of the most glorious scriptures in the Word of God. He wants us to exhibit those things to other people. So Christians, believers, people in the church, let's, let's allow the salvation and the saving grace of God that we just read about in Christ to prepare us for every good work. Let's pray. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.